Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Paula Price Show, where you can experience scripturally organic, culturally unmodified teaching, get answers to your questions, and receive powerful prayer from your host, Dr. Paula Price, author of the Prophet's Dictionary. Tune in now and get ready for an exciting time of encouragement and transformation. Welcome your host, Dr. Paula Price. Did the world tour of driving to Nashville and back and doing the birthday gala and church and hosting all within a week. This time last week, let's see, this time last week, yes, we were in Nashville at the uh, Grand or Opryland. Where were we at? Grand Ole Opry. Thank you. That. And uh, hello, family. Hello, Prophet CT. Welcome, sir. Everybody, it's time to check in and share, 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 share. Our chief apostle is making tremendous inroads into the kingdom and broadcast media. And last week, she was a hot ticket to interview, and she made her rounds. We're going to kick off today with just a short, literally, maybe 60-second recap of last week in Nashville at the NRB convention. Now, the thing about NRB is you have all kinds of people there. On one level is a huge, because this is always at the uh, Gaylord. It was at the Gaylord in Dallas last year, the Gaylord Texan. Uh, this year was the Gaylord Opryland. And so it's this ginormous hotel. The one we were at is the largest non-casino hotel in the continental U.S. It has nine acres of vegetation in it. It is fantastic. You want to talk about allergies? Be gone. Why? Because there were so many green plants in that place that you just cleared up with that. We got back in Oklahoma. Prophetella started sneezing in the car. And she's like, oh, I said, welcome home. <laughs> we're not in Kansas anymore. And so uh, in that, upstairs in one room, this huge, I mean, the biggest grand ballroom I have ever seen, and all the walls weren't even open. I don't know how, how many people can fit in there, well over a 1,000. Uh, and so you have the different booths with the radio. And then you go out, and um, there's different setups, and in other grand ballrooms, there's special exhibits. You go downstairs into another huge grand ballroom, and that's where you have the exhibits, the booths, where you go table to table, and, you know, they have all their setups and their huge displays, also where some of the television interviews were. And so upstairs, the first day, Thursday, we were upstairs, uh, was it Thursday? No, Wednesday. Wednesday. Wednesday, we were upstairs for the radio interviews and where we met Kirk Cameron. Very cool. You know, hey, growing pains. I'm a child of the 80s and 90s. And then downstairs on Thursday was her television interviews. And TV is a whole other animal compared to radio, a whole other animal. 
So uh, my mom called me this morning and she said, hey, did you see, because my mom is the bird on the wire in the kingdom. I want you to know if, if I find out half of what I find out is from my mom, weather, people, ministry, the world, that phone's ringing. Did you see this? And so she let me note that Flashpoint did a recap of NRB because Flashpoint was there and uh, Dr. Price was interviewed by them. And she said, and Dr. Price is in the opening montage video of it or whatever. So we're just going to show this short clip. It's like a minute long of where she shows up in that montage and then just some pictures that I took. And we'll be right back to talk about her birthday. you to know our chief apostle rocked it in the interviews as only she can. I think every single host who talked to her did the pause and the tilted head at least three times. Huh. Every, uh, many of them went over their interview time. One gentleman, I think he interviewed her last year, so he was kind of ready. He got himself ready and he interviewed like three short clips so he could get three broadcasts out of it with her. Flashpoint, Jean Bailey was like, 10 minutes is not enough with Dr. Price. I know. And, uh, and on and on and on it goes. We could talk forever about that. And so I look forward to seeing, uh, plus just the reconnections uh, along the way. You see somebody that you haven't seen, Lance Wallnow, Dr. Price goes back with Lance as far as ICA days, and, and we were sitting out eating pizza, and I said, isn't that Lance? It's like, hey, Lance, come on over. Say hi to Dr. Price. You saw that picture? And just, it, you did not know who you were going to see when you walked around the corner. Who else did Chief and I see? Uh, Anthony Evans. But he was on the phone, so he couldn't take a picture. But we were like, hey, love your ministry. It's just fun. Like, it's a fun time to geek out, but wear your tennis shoes, people of God. Wear your sneaks because you walk, walk, walk. Then we came back and had Dr. Price's double honor gala where she was celebrated. She said, I had a gala. <laughs> afterwards i had a gala and so we're going to do a quick recap of that a few pictures they'll all be up by next week downloaded and then uploaded because we have lots of pictures what an evening to honor our chief apostle and on the heels of the nrb convention it was just altogether lovely except for missing that one hour of sleep because time changed other than that, we talked about last night how we weren't we weren't ready for that. Um, but other than that, it was a great, great night. Lots of good food and talent and videos and media and pictures of our Chief Apostle and with our Chief Apostle. We'll be right back. Oh, 
Isn't that something to ponder, something to think about? So share with your friends. We're talking about workouts. Tune in. Let us know online where you're tuning in from. Do a little bit of roll call here maybe in a minute. Critical thinking involves criteria and standards, two things that we don't like in the body of Christ. What do you mean criteria? What do you mean standards? That's legalism. Listen, God says when the enemy comes in like a flood, he's going to raise up a standard against him. I need to know what standards. So clearly the Lord sees fit that standards are essential to pushing back on the enemy. Selah. And what does that mean for you and me? Detection. Ooh, critical thinking is a lot about detection. Because how many of you have sat in a place and somebody comes in and they say, that picture is crooked. Now, you've been looking at that picture and you didn't realize it was crooked. Mm -hmm. Or you didn't see that something was just a little off. There's always that person who doesn't miss when something is off. And then there are the people who never register or rarely register when things are off. And so critical thinking means that you're always processing, you're observing, you're deducing. And in whatever you're looking at or listening to, you can register when something is on point, when it's off point. You can detect Detectives, what do detectives do? Detectives find what other people can't find. Their detective prophets have a detective nature to their mantle. Apostles have a detective nature to their mantles, very inquisitive, very inquiring. But inquisitive and inquiring and detecting are not the same thing. And so when you were talking about being detecting in it, you're able to go and everybody sees this right here. Because what what do you have in the police department? Detective. Detectives are a completely different class of the police force. You have your uh, law enforcement officers who are on the street. You have your detectives who get involved when it's time to handle a case. So you have your arresting officers, and then you have your investigating to prosecute officers. Now, they work together because if those arresting officers don't get it right, you know, like not arresting the right person, I don't know, or doing it illegally so that even the arrest is thrown out because they didn't follow the law, and then it's kicked over to the detectives who work with the prosecutors and attorneys and all those things to bring somebody through the justice system. Well, that's all tied to critical thinking. If you don't like to think... I'm just going to pause right there. Leave God alone. Listen, if you don't like to think, woo, leave God alone. And so we have that one, the weight of leadership. Ugh, that just felt heavy saying it. I felt like I need to lean back. Analysis assessment for judgment is in big letters on that. Let me hold it up and see. Analysis assessment for judgment is in that word cloud. Ooh, as the Apostle Holt says, ooh-wee, ooh-wee. Appraisal is in this category. Appraisal, when you take something to be appraised, what are, your, what are you doing with that? You are finding its value, not personal value, industry standard value, historical value, not subjective value, 
objective value. What's the what's the uh, antique road show, right? You watch the antique road show and people come and this just means so much to me and this was passed on to my family for thirty two generations. Right. It is six ninety nine. And they're like six thousand six hundred thousand no, six dollars and ninety nine cents. No, it's gotta be more worth than that because it's so old. Yes, it's old. <laughs> it is old. But old does not mean high dollar. Not everything that's old is an antique. And not even everything that is an antique is in good shape. Chipped, cracked. And so appraisal, calculation, oh, the brain. What I love about these word clouds is that it ties in your mental capacity, agility, your intellect, your insights, your instincts, as well as all of the, the visibles and invisibles, largely invisible, that shows up in the visible realm. And with leadership, I mean, it, it's scary to me how many people are in ministry and have never had one leadership class. <laughs> you are leading. People prophesy never had a prophecy class, never had a public speaking class. Never read the Bible. <laughs> or, or read the Bible, yeah. There we go. And so we have leaders who have not been taught how to lead. Because, hey, God told me that I'm going to be over a ministry. He did. He did. He did. And just like that kid who knew God told them that they were going to be a doctor, you're going to 92 years of schooling. <laughs> By the time you're done with school, you're going to be too old to practice, depending on what you want to do. And everybody understands if you're going to be a doctor, you're going to pay a hefty price financially. You're going to be in school for a long time, and you're going to be paying back that debt forever. You need to make a lot of money because you're paying back a lot of money. But in God, well, he told me that I was going into ministry and I'm just going to be led by the spirit. I need you to be led by the spirit to a university, mm. a college, something, training academy with leadership. You're leading people, organizations, you're, you're managing finances. As much as people get offended by saying that ministry is business, there's business to it. Uh, Jesus said he was going to be about his father's business. So we know that business is a part of what we do and training ourselves. So this word cloud uh, workbook will be available soon and very soon. It's in just the final revision, tweaking, you know, all the things you need to look at, due diligence, being excellent stage. Probably next week, I'm thinking, right? Tomorrow. It'll be up tomorrow to order. Okay, you can order tomorrow. Tomorrow. This is Thursday. If you're watching this Friday, then it's today. Okay, evaluation, survey of knowledge, uh, survey of knowledge and importance, importance metrics, valuation, computation. Man, it's scary how many people get into ministry to e avoid thinking. Well, I had to come off that corporate job. It was so hard. Well, I'm doing ministry now. Oh, Oh, I'm scared of you and what's going to happen to your ministry because that means you don't want to put in the work or the effort or the time. You don't want to hurt yourself. People know that they've gone to school for four or six or eight years for another career. And if we say you have to be in school for two or three years, I don't have time for that. I'm not going to be, you mean I have to go to school for three or four years to be a prophet? Well, if you want to be a good one, a trusted one, an accurate one, I'm thinking yes. Well, if we look at Elisha, yes, he poured water yes. on the hands of Elijah. Yes. And then we have the young prophets that don't get a name. Yes. 
No, it's all about you a have name. To earn your name. It's all about a name. You know, you earn your name. Hey, because wait, because we're talking about the young prophet who got duped by the lying prophet, which yes. we talked about the last show. We don't know his name. No. The prophet Does who it had, matter? No. The prophet who wouldn't know you do right? Do you? I don't think your family wants your name to be known for that. We don't even want to put anything no. on a tombstone. No. The prophet who anointed Jehu king. Yes. We don't know who he was. The prophet who ran in and ran out. Yes. He was no, Aaron. No yeah, an Aaron prophet, just getting it done. Aaron, just running through it. <laughs> well, you know what I think is so interesting about the prophetic and education is that it is a communications office ministry. Yeah. It is the, literally the divine communications office or ministry of the kingdom, like our news bureau, yes. our media. Yes. Okay? So it's God's media, and you have people that can't talk. Uh, and can't think or refuse to learn and thinking that they can run on. Now, you couldn't run to the corner in your car without a license that you had to learn, but you can run and handle God's people. You know, we were talking just before we shift. I was talking recently, and one of the things that I have always said is that the church is in love with mediocrity. Yes, and it literally celebrates its failure. Doesn't want, we don't even have in our preachings or sermon language that speak to excellence or sure. anything like that. We just don't have it. So I'm enjoying the fact that I can honestly think. And, you know, I always tell my students, you'll never speak better than you write. Mm-hmm. You will never write better than you think. Which is why we have a lot of writing assignments and speaking. Exactly. Because if there is something that writing does to the brain that elevates it and, 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 and refines it and that nothing else would do. One of the things that I have, uh, uh, and I'm sure a lot of educators do, have a problem with is today, everything is about you not writing. Shoot. Predictive text. Why? Well, for you, you're going to say, wow, this is fun. This is convenient. This is easy. You might say it. Your next generation will say, whew, why even, y'all used to write? Uh-huh. You used to write whole sentences? Why? Because this is a, I promise you, this is a de- deterioration or degradation of the brain, of the mental functions and structures. That's the whole reason why they don't want you to write. Right. Because if you don't, because you'll never speak better than you write. You'll never write better than you think. And if you never learn to think, you will never communicate well. And that is why we, in in our program, you're going to write. And you're going to not always write with your predictive text. You're going, okay? Your your AI features are going to come off because you must be able to think. How did we get here? The church cannot think. No. It doesn't think. and And here's the thing. It doesn't think like God or for God. Just prestige. Well, you have people who are sitting in the same room together, texting each other, because they don't know how to communicate to each other verbally. Exactly. But think, but but step away from the novelty. Yep. And shift your mind from the novelty to the future. And think about how antisocial, disconnected, narcissistic the future will be. Someone should do a real kind of a, a, what do you call it, a real kind of hot house test where you have that, and that's all they can do. They're forbidden to do communicate in any other way but to text, write yourself, and text in text ease. 
because textiles doesn't require you to spell. You don't have to spell. True. And all of this seems fun because the machines are seductive. They're intoxicating. You know, they're, they're literally obsessing. And so you think this is great until you look at the, the generation of the future. And if you, now here's why you want to be concerned. Because people, I, mean, I don't care. That's, that doesn't bother me. Because you're going to get old. Right. And the result and the product that they're going after will be attacking you. Yes, it will. See, they'll get old, and you'll be the old people that they could care less about, the old people that they mock for thinking or whatever else, just like they're doing to the elderly today. The elderly and the vulnerable are always the goal and the targets of these types of, quote, unquote, um, advancements. I call them novel advancements. Mm -hmm. Always. And so as you, as you go and start working through this and, and you, begin to, um, you begin to say, well, gee, I don't understand the problem. I make myself. I don't have, um, what do you call them on the phone? Codes. I dial my numbers as often as I can. I want to see that number. I want it to stay in my mind so that if I don't have my phone, I can still call somebody. Wouldn't it be nice if I don't have my phone, I can still call people? Because in a minute, we're not going to be able to call people because you're like, oh, that's, that's two on my cell phone. Mm -hmm. yeah. you, you can't get, that's what I was trying to think, speed down, speed, you won't be able to call them. If your phone is gone, how do you call people? If it's dead, how do you call anyway? But you need to have, and the reason why you want it, something else, you want a phone book. You want those little address yeah. fed books yeah. so that no matter what, you can reach folk. Yeah. Because you don't realize how dependent you are, and they are making you blindly, thoughtlessly dependent. Now, why do I say that? Because you don't think the consequences. You're just enjoying the moment. It's all about enjoying and appreciating the convenience, and you don't anticipate when that inconvenience happens. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? So as we go forward and we begin to, to, to deal with this, I make my students right, and you're going to look up stuff. You know, I looked up every one of those words, every term you see. I have over or close to 400 of them, and I looked them up. And they're wonderful because they can also help you do your writing. With these flip charts, you can flip to that subject and pick the term that best says what you want to say. So you can do that. Homework is kind of like a, a little bit of a pictorial dictionary. Yes. A pictorial dictionary and thesaurus in one, you know, where she said critical thinking. Well, how many times do you want to write a paper and say critical thinking? Wouldn't you like to vary that yeah. a little bit, yeah. you know? Yeah. So when I'm writing about critical thinking, what I start to study is critical thinking. And so when I begin to study critical thinking, I understand critical thinking. And so I'm thinking critically because I learned critical thinking. And so when I want to teach my, ch my students about critical thinking, I go and I tell them critical thinking means thinking critically. That's a little boring. Isn't that boring? <laughs> okay, very redundant. But what if you can say, in critical thinking, I, 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 the first thing I do is I, I take stock of what I want to say, what thoughts I want to put on paper, what thoughts I, I want to uh, explain. And then in order to do that, I go to research. research. There's how-tos in here. You can just 
Look at the how-tos. What do we do? How do we do it? How do we make it so? What do we research? And then how do we expect it? What does assessment have to do with critical thinking? I mean, this thing, there is so much you can do with one of these. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, don't get caught up with, with the signposts up here, the little multicolored signposts. And when you start realizing critical thinking and all of these are about your findings, articulating and wording out your findings, framing your, and phrasing your answers, recognizing and distinguishing out your outcomes from results. Wow. So, because, see, devils don't like smart humans. Huh. They hate humans to be educated because it doesn't take much for the brilliant light of Christ in us that they blew off yeah. to eclipse them. But that is why movies and media are so based. They're so primitive right now. Everything is bringing you down. And so, you you know, and, and you're, most of the times you can't get a good cerebral show unless it's a crime show. Really? Now, why is it that only the crime shows can be cerebral? Mm-hmm. I just need somebody to explain that to me. So everything else should be dumb except how to be a criminal. <laughs> <laughs> okay. You know, there's no, you know, I mean, you could think about how many shows we have that are about research, that are about uh, investigation, or we have some science things, but most science things are documentaries or docudramas. Because, so that tells you what the what the brain brain um, power of the writers are, and how low it's fallen. That's why you can finish the plot before they get past the first credits. Okay, I was like, okay, so this is just about that. And they said, well, people want to enjoy me. No, no, no. Devils want you dumb. And they will always make you feel stupid for being smart. Well, they will always call smart stupid and stupid smart. And so it's up to you to piss. See, we are the light of the world. And, and I'm excited because it's going to lead me into what I want to say. But we are the light of the world. That means without us, the world is in darkness. So when you think about light, you're thinking about luminescence. God is thinking about intelligence. We are the, that's what logos means, the intelligence of the world. In other words, without the mind of Christ, the world has the mind of a failed cherub who lost his bid for power, who is trying to do damage control and pushing a cover story on us that didn't happen. I don't know about you, but I think that I'm not doing that. So I, 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 my, we, I told my church I'm not having a dumb church. Because I need you all to be able to fight for the body of Christ, but also fight for the neighborhood and the community. When you go to these activist meetings and these rallies and carrying on, I need you to have the intelligent questions, the provocative questions, and then know what the answer sounds like. So, yeah, I'm hot on this. Uh, We are always – remember this. You'll never speak better than you write. You will never write better than you think. And you will never think outside of what you learn. Those, that is what communications essentially and fundamentally rest on. Does that help you all? Yeah. Amen. That is good. All right. Well, I have kind of struggled with what we're going to do today. I've been working on, many of you heard, know about 3D1. So I've been working on 3D2, 3, 4, and 5. Mm. Wow. I know. Isn't that wonderful? Yes. Two, three, four, and five. So 
the reason that we have 3D is to what? Take your soul from distress to success. This has been out a long time, so you all are going to like the new ones that are coming out. If you're watching on social media, tell your friends they want to catch this day, this particular Jesus and Paula broadcast, because I'm sharing chapters, not chapters, paragraphs from my chapters in my book. So you get to get some of this information early before anyone else does. Yes. And you can, uh, of course, for those of you who don't have 3D, I'm sure that in a minute it's going to be on the screen for you to get your copy of 3D. It's already up there. I like it. I already did it. I love it. Some of the things that we have in 3D, the table of top topics, it, it, it's really a soul restoration project and your journey to the success that you are pursuing. And the reason, what makes it important is this. We all know people who have been successful and become alcoholics and drug addicts. We know people who have been successful for short-term periods of time can't hold on to success, cannot hold on to success, don't know why. They win. They can get to the winner's circle. They can get to the top of the line. They can take the trophy home. But when it comes to sustaining success, their soul cannot handle it. Their soul falls into distress. Some of the things that signs that will let you know about that has to do with whether or not they come on time, how often they are on time, how many times they collapse, how many times how many times you give them something to do and it's it's degraded the the quality keeps diminishing it's also how well they get along with people what they what do they do prepare how frequently they don't prepare for what they do because they're still running on charisma they're still running on their talent so i don't want to prepare again researching knowing your facts digging out words learning how to communicate so all of those things have to do with the pressures of success so the pressures of success will immediately kick you out of the success you gain because you don't like pressure. People who don't like pressure have to lower the bar on their success expectations and longevity. Wow. So the biggest issue that you don't – well, I don't know. I mean, I just started having a, a drink after work. I just – did the, the the happy hour. I mean, you know, what's wrong with that? Next thing you know, you need to drink plus and the happy hour and. And that and it's not always substance. Sometimes it's a matter of how people, there's a, 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 a place in your soul that is called the reward system. We know about it in the brain, but your soul decides what's a reward for you. What is your benefit or blessing or award for succeeding. And so some people, it's a substance thing. I mean, you, let's go out and party. Ha, ha, ha. If that's your first response, you need to be concerned. You need to be concerned because at some point, the feel good of the celebration will overtake and begin to diminish the diligence, disciplines, and rigidity of your success. All right, I came to work on time every day until I got my promotion, and now for some reason I can't make it on time. Soul stress, can't do it. Mm -hmm. The pressure of your success is distressing your soul. Mm -hmm. 
and you have to recognize what that is. So the, what I've done over the last, I don't know, 20 years, when is this book out, Pastor? Do you remember? Are you still 2014. So almost 10 years we've been working this. And some of the things, and, and I'll tell you right now, it is not Buddhist. It is not Hindu. Thank you. It is not pagan. It is not New Age. And you know why? None of them created the soul. Secondly, their soul's master failed in his own experiment, which is why Christianity is the answer. And when the Christians began to, again, third, fourth generations not passing it on, not establishing it as a pass on and pass along, but when they began to lose their way because they, dis they separated themselves from their, the maker, the savior, and their text, their manual. See, so we, we, we began to write manuals that were testimonials and called them therapy. Oh. Not everyone, please. And not everything that's out there is wrong. The, the, the flesh is the flesh, and that which is of the flesh is, and deserves or needs, God has something for it because he's the God of all flesh. We don't think about that, but he said, I'm the God of all flesh. I'm the Father of spirits. I'm the God of the spirits of all flesh. I am the God of the soul. I'm the maker of all souls. So God, God, he has us coming and going, but he does have this set-aside elite group called the offspring of the Godhead. And they don't re respond well to pagan therapies. <laughs> I'm just saying. See, pagan therapies, and, and, and for the for the Christian, is a step down. Christian therapies for the pagan, step up. If you don't have that clarity and that certainty about your God, you're never going to get where you want to be in here. So moving on. So this is talking about the soul's restoration, distress to success, and, uh, and then it's talking about the Christ distinctive. This is book one, the path to the, the dependency, disappointment, the big D and addiction, and then head noise, and it covers a whole lot of uh, other areas. So you, those of you who don't yet have the book, you might want to go and get your copy because it's not what you think. I was sitting down with a group of uh, therapists one day, and they were surprised that this is not a, a sermon. This is not your sermon book, okay? This is not a preach-a-thon. It's not going to preach along. You just, we preach you out of your addiction. We tried that. didn't work. What we have to do is, again, with these word clouds, and I have a whole word, a word cloud book that Rachel's going to love that's all about 3D. Oh, uh, all about 3D word cloud, which is probably what she'll have, what, next month or the month after. Yeah, all about 3D. Everything you need to know about the 3D, the elements of your addiction and captivity. Because, see, this is addiction, affliction, and captivity. I'm going to say that. Addiction, affliction, and captivity. Because not all addictions are substance. They're not intoxicants. I'll say that. Every one is a substance. But they're not all intoxicants. Some of them are practices. Some of them are recreational outlets. Like, you know, S&M, you know, dominant. Those are, those are the, they do physically and actually what the toxins do or the intoxication does. See, emotionally. So they, you imbibe one. 
but you engage in the other. And you can't stop it. Sex addiction is still a drug because sex is a drug. And so we, so we sometimes, especially in the church, we, we're going to deal with that, that drug addiction and not deal with the other, the perversion addiction, the extremist, what they call extremism. So this is some of the things that we do. So this is book one, 3D, a soul restoration plan to take your life from distress to success. And I'm going to touch, touch on some of this because each one builds on the other. And so you have a little bit of it here. The book two is going to give you a little bit more. And it's all based on the premise. So I was going to read the beginning. I was going to have you read it, but you moved too quickly. You're so fast, you know. You got out that room quickly. Okay. Overview. I just want to read this, and I'm going to share with you some of the elements of the new book. Would you like to know that? Yes. All right. I'm encouraged. <laughs> all right. Orientation. Overview. 3D orientation. This is a soul restoration plan that guides you through the process of taking your life from distress to success. As you move through it, these words will come to mean a great deal to you, taking you to the root of your addiction, which, um, which was a relinquishing your free will to serve your body's destruction. That's what addiction is, relinquishing your free will. and to authorize your body to be treated by a, de a devastating or intoxicating force. <laughs> Hallelujah. When you do this, it sets you on the path of, I mean, excuse me, the 3D sets you on the path of del deliverance. The 3D plan teaches you how to repossess your free will in order to lead a healthy and productive life. The means by which this is accomplished is by training you to transform your soul's death codes to the codes of life. In doing so, you get to command it to issue and sustain your emotional well-being. Every session puts you in touch with your soul's liberating truths because truth alone holds the power to set a captive free. Truth has many layers, almost as many layers as your skin. There is eternal truth, moral truth, mortal truth, heavenly truth, and earthly truth. To be free from your addiction, you must consider your emotional truth, its integrity and honesty. How real is your desire to be free? And how badly do you want it? Social and cultural truths all contributed to your addiction. And then there is your personal truth. What is this, you ask? It is the truth that took you captive and convinced you to choose addiction to treat your soul issues. Frankly speaking, it is that truth and only that truth that will set you free indeed. Enter the, soul, the 3D soul restoration plan. Many soul captives do not know that not any truth persuaded them to surrender to the spiritual stronghold of their addiction. And so not just any truth can set them free from it. Your journey through the 3D process will guide your soul mining so that you will recall the lie that enslaved you because it must be recalled to set you free from your addiction. Every convincing truth that sold you on your enslavement must be examined, even if they are not all equal in scope and effect. But what is personal truth? Personal truth is your soul's rationale for your captivity. The reason it backfired is because your circumstantial or relative truth, as some call it, clashed 
with God's creature truth. So we can go on, but you understand, because you, you're going to buy the book. I'm not going to read it to you. Amen. <laughs> to liberate your soul, you must break the seal on your own stronghold to uncover not only what happened to you, but why it affected you so drastically or destructively. The answer is key to separating your heart and your soul from your addiction. This statement is made with exception being given to those soul traumas that make people victims of horrible life events. Innocent victims of inhuman atrocities have soul strongholds that respond to truth deliverance in other ways. These will be addressed throughout the process. Whatever the gateway, the 3D process aims to achieve its ultimate, which is to give your soul the power to free itself to succeed. So some of you all, you know, we have folks here that think that that it's not as helpful or as analytical or as, uh, the, I want to say dissecting as it is. This requires you to understand every, every addiction is resting on a lie, every single one. Now, the lie came as an alternative to the reason addiction was your choice. Because, see, addiction is a generic term that means devoted to one's, devoted sacrificially to the objects of one's affection. So if your affection is to never feel pain again, it becomes the obsession. So as we go through these, and we'll go through some of this, but the, the, the first thing I want you to know about the soul before I begin to read to you a section from 3D2. Um, I want you to understand that the way the soul is typically treated in the world, it is seen as a segment or portion of another major organ or another part of the self. And that is why you have so much recidivism. Because the soul is not a fragment, it's not a section, it's not a portion. The soul is an entire being. It is an entire being. Your person in your, and your personhood is your soul. Your body is its slave, which is why the body reacted to you tending to your soul addictively. So you are unwounded. Let's see. I mean, right now, and I'll tell you in the book, I have a whole section on how parents raise their children to be addictive. Oh, You're not hearing that today. Wow. <laughs> wow. <laughs> not today. I only have to. Uh, listen, I got to stop at one. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so there are. You were groomed from the womb to be addictive. Oh. Now, your will decided whether that addictiveness or addictivity would be for good or for evil, for health or for harm. Because it's in all of us, that love feature that everybody likes to tout, that love feature is in all of us, and it has, and its factor is, or has to be, what it is, what do you want to do with your free will? So the one thing you need to know, your soul is a a whole being. Your soul actually primes every part of you. 
Now, if your soul is a whole being, then that also means, which is important, it also means that it supplies the body. So that means the body has its counterparts, and its counterparts are plugged into the soul. So the soul supplies the body. The soul guides and steers the body, which is why the body can go back to dust, but the soul lives on. How could it live on as a portion? So I want you to think about that. So why is that important? Because your soul is your afterlife determiner. And it's your in-life sustainer. Your soul, think about it. If God made Adam on day six, Adam is with the Lord. He's with his maker, spirit and soul. But he doesn't get a body until day eight, which is why the eighth day circumcision and all of that is, is there. So uh, until he gets his body, he is in the being of his maker. God is tending to him, he, him and the female, male and female, may he them. See, so whatever body, whatever you do to your body in this life is inconsequential to the afterlife. So something may God say that spiritually and materially he can, he can craft the differences between the male and the female. So day six, God makes the body. Day seven, his two new creatures and the species end up being what? Sabbath. They are enjoying God on the Sabbath day. Now, days were longer back then because at that point, the, you know, the whole feeding of time hadn't happened. So they are, at the Sabbath day, the male and the female are enjoying communion, the Sabbath with their maker. They're getting to know him. He's getting to know them. He's telling them why he made them. He's giving them all of their instructions. All of this is not given to the body. Huh. It's given to the spirit and it's given to the soul. Now, at the end of that com their, their communion, I'm sure by the time God briefed them and, and, and inseminated them and, you know, encoded them and all of those things that has to happen for a human being to be what it is, day eight comes and it says, and God formed man, Genesis 2, God formed man. He didn't say created. Created is day six. Formed is day eight. Sabbath is day two, which is why Jesus is the Sabbath. So day eight comes and God, with his own hands, I mean, it, it's, I can see why folks have a problem. I can see why Satan doesn't want you to ever understand it. So with his own hand, it says he formed man from the dust of the earth. Clay dust, and he forms them, and this body is, I'm sure it is 100% Jesus Christ in flesh. That's why Jesus is called the last Adam. So he forms his body, and it's made exactly the way that his spiritual beings are, but now a step down, it's made of clay. Here's where you need to pay attention. When God finished forming this body, it did nothing but lay there. It could not walk. 
It could not talk. It did not breathe. It neither inhaled or exhaled. Eyes did not open. Gorgeous eyeballs. Nothing. All it is is a shell. Now, the shell is filled with all of its organs. It has a heart, has the five major organs, has the vascular system. But they're doing, but there's something missing. Something is keeping this body from being a body, a person, a being. And what was the missing thing? The spirit and the soul, which were still residing in God as he's crafting their home. He doesn't have to worry about them, you know, eavesdropping, peeking, you know, stealing his uh, intellectual property because, well, they're dead. (laughs) See, the body came into existence dead. That is the most powerful revelation that we can have in helping people understand why you must be born again. So what's missing in this body? What, What is not there? The answer is the soul and the spirit. So God breathes into Adam. Now, this is what's important. I want you to get these distinctives. God breathes into Adam the breath of life, and he becomes a living soul. Now, it's unfortunate because you have some unenlightened Bible translators and enthusiasts who who think, understand that because the spirit gives life, the writer that Moses got it wrong, that Moses did not, should have said, and man became a living spirit, but that's not true. Mm-hmm. Man became a living soul because his spirit life came from his maker inside him. The minute God breathed into Adam's nostril, he became a living soul. In other words, his physiology stepped up and it became biology. So now, with that breath, can you imagine that simple breath? Isn't that something? I mean, people do it all day long to bring people back from drowning, don't they? They breathe in their nose. They don't breathe in their mouth. They breathe in their nose. Now, why do they do that? And when did man realize that that text had a practical application? in human life? Isn't that a good question? And so as moving on, so he breathes into what comes with that breath? We imagine that it's air. But the air of the Almighty is the same air that said, let there be. So Adam receives with that one blast of God's breath in his nostrils, Came his blood, came his nervous system's energy, came his brain's neurological activity. Everything that made Adam who he is was in his soul. Everything that caused him to be a, a person, a being that would live and thrive was in his soul. Wasn't in the body. It was in his soul. See, this is apostles' doctrine. This is the doctrine that helps you understand God from eternity to eternity, which is our job. So he breathes into his nostrils. Man becomes a living soul. He's not only a living soul, that heart begins to pump. Those lungs begin to move. Inhale, exhale, recipe, rather. The brain begins to think. 
the knowledge that God had put in him on day seven when they were communing on their first Sabbath is now percolating and circulating throughout his mind. Those muscles are moving because the, br- the blood is pumping throughout the body, giving life to every section of it. We have never dissected that sufficiently enough to think, so, wait a minute, hold on. So is that what God's breath did? <laughs> breathe on me. Come on here. Breathe on me. Now you understand. Every time I breathe on me, Lord. So God's breath was breathing on the water when he was declaring and uttering creation. Now this breath is localizing itself in a creature, a clay creature, because he already has the angels. We don't even want to talk about how he got them going. So he breathes into Adam, and Adam becomes a living soul. From that moment on, Adam is the clay version of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And Adam's life force did not come from a corrupt earth, a doomed or condemned earth. It came from the very maker, the very being that made him. He did not have to worry about his spirit because his spirit was tied to the Almighty. And he kept the spirit of God's life until he ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Once he did that, the spirit of God left him, and the spirit of the serpent entered him and took over. Now, Dr. Price, I'm not quite sure I can believe that. I mean, that's that's, that's really a reach, is it? Because my Bible tells me that when Saul blew up with God, the spirit of God left him and released a distressing spirit upon him, and Saul never made sense again. He, kept, he, he couldn't get it right for being wrong. So I gave you that backstory so that you would appreciate the power of your soul, the stature of your soul and the structure, as well as its duties and responsibilities to your spirit and to your body. So we understand now that the blood comes from the soul. You know, I almost want to go home and go sleep on that. And I just, something had to happen. Wake me up, girl. Come on. (laughs) (laughs) The blood comes from the soul because the, the blood is the life of all flesh. Listen to me, people. Because once we do this, you'll stop playing around with your soul. You won't have a little nasty and a little naughty to make sure that the world understands you're not all the way safe. <laughs> you like that? I also am stressing this because you need to understand what God's issues are. When you are an apostle and when you are an apostle, a prophet, a real one, you are obsessed with God's issues because that's why you exist. Come on. You do not exist for the issues of humanity. You exist to be a medium or an intermediary between God and his creation. We don't do that. We don't teach you that any longer. Now you exist to be you. That's paganism. That's witchcraft. That's demonism. That's devilism. Because that was Satan's problem. Lucifer wanted to be himself. 
and he wanted to disengage from the massive, infinite network of life that brought him into existence. He wanted to use that life for his own purposes and to his own advantage. So we go on. The blood comes from the soul. That means that every part of that soul is an interface between the body and the spirit. The spirit, which gives life, total energy. The soul gives chemistry. Mm. Now, I know that you all probably would like to hear some of the hallelujah, life is good, don't I feel good, Jesus is happy with me. Mm. But he can't be happy with you if your soul is not converted. Because he's already shut everything under sin. So when the spirit of God left Adam and the spirit of the serpent took its place in his being as the spirit of his life, that's how death entered man. Because the spirit was dead. That serpent was dead. And dead means without God's life-sustaining, life-giving, life-sustaining, life-generating, and regenerating properties. In effect, nothing God made disappears. As much as they want to tell you that they break down and become part of the cosmos, no, they don't. No, they don't. And if they did, it won't matter. So when God had to leave Adam, he left Adam to the serpent that convinced him that he could do a better job of his life than the maker that he'd been with for nearly 70 years about 70 years. Romans 5 says, death reigned from Adam to Moses. I don't know about you, but that's also something. You know, you all are fond of doing these roundtables and these discussions and these think tanks. You all need to start thinking through this. Think on these things. (laughs) But it reigned from Adam to Moses. What intervened? Right. The Ten Commandments, the law, that intervened, which means it created a layer of preservation and a layer of life that superseded the natural death that was due humanity because of how they were created. For example, so because you have people have problems with sin, for example, you'll hear people say, well, I'm, I'm sorry, but I mean, I just don't think it's a sin. I don't think it's that. If you can't keep yourself alive, you are a product of sin. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> because the reason people die is because of sin. And the reason, you, the reason for your misconduct, et cetera. Sin bred flaws in the creature. Mm-hmm. It bred the same flaws that caused God to evict that cherub in God's first human species or first earthly species. You ever said, our conversation goes with it, man, I'm trying to lose weight, but I can't. Whew. I tell you what, I try to stop smoking, I just can't. Whoa, I try to give up, I can't. I mean, no matter what, all of those can'ts, those are affirmations of the sin nature. Your deeds are a result of the nature. You can't even see it. So where did that come from? It came from the soul being downgraded 
gradually, steadily over the years from that moment that that serpent entered, being downgraded by two things, the presence of the law of sin and death, the presence of death and doom in that serpent. Because sin, death came through a being, not an action. Because when Eve ate, nothing happened. It was when Adam ate, something happened. And so from that moment on, and then with the, the, the blending of the seed of devils with the seed of humanity or humans, those two things guarantee that the soul would corrupt. They would, God, as Scripture puts it, corrupt their way in life. Now, so God's saying, Ecclesiastes, God says God made man upright, and he invented many schemes. He didn't look for the schemes of uprightness. He looked for the schemes of degradation because those are what the spirit in him bred from that Edenic moment until even today, definitely till the cross. It took the cross for us to be born again. Now, this is important because I'm laying a foundation. I want to wrap it up. Let me say it again. Your soul is not a fragment. It's not a piece. It's not that pineal gland that they like to say is where they, but it's not, no, no. The pineal gland may be an outlet. I, I'm not even sure if it's something that God meant for to do that because if, if he meant for your soul to be an, a being, an entire entity, then I would have to say that he didn't lock it to one gland. Right. But that gland became a portal when God departed Adam's being. So it goes to show the best the enemy can do to give you access to the outside life. Little piece in the brain, little piece back here, just a little bit. So, but God made you a an intricate trinity, unity. Your spirit is a full being. Your soul is a full being. Your body, are you ready? Is its carrier, which is why when you die, God can do without your body but he definitely wants your soul back. And again, your soul was born, was created outside of the earth. It was created in the God realm, not in the clay realm. That came later when we were downgraded to mortals. Mortals means obliged or doomed to die. So now I'm going, I know I'm going slow, but I'd rather go slow and you get it than for me to go and do what I know I can do. Thank you. Amen. Aren't y'all Did I hear the prophet say yes? I lay. So, so the soul is a whole being. The soul is what died. The spirit left, but the soul died. See, the Holy Ghost left. And the soul, Adam's soul died, and his spirit of life, the life-giving force that would join the natural life that it was bestowed by the Almighty, became that light of darkness. Jesus calls it the light of darkness. And he calls it the life, you know, in him was life, and that life was the light of men. That's a powerful phrase. It's an amazing statement. So with God being out of humanity, totally out, we now have to get humanity from death to life, from hell to heaven. And I, I really, I can't even tell you, I'm, I'm just having such a blast just, just chewing on this, even myself. 
because of that thing, when God said to Eve that a seed would come from her that would crush Satan's head, and the best Satan could do is bruise his heel, meaning he's going to be part of the, the lowest part of the earth. When God said that, he was prophesying then. That was his second prophecy. He was prophesying then what would happen to humanity. So then Jesus comes, or I should say, God has Jesus coming down through the line. Get my book before the garden, God's eternal continuum. You can see what, how that happened, all of that backstory that I'm jumping over. So he turns around and it explains why Jesus had to become flesh. The maker, the one, the perfect specimen had to become human. And then it's almost like let's rejoin that, the gaps in between Eden and Nazareth. He has to come as a perfect specimen. Why? His blood is what brought Adam to earth and gave him life. So it has to be the, the blood of his maker that redeems his life. Because the blood comes from the Father, he had to have untainted Adamic blood. But something quirky happened in there. There's a little quirkiness in there. And that quirkiness that is in there, even though the spirit is pure and righteous, sinless, because of his Father's sperm that brought him into existence, that superlative sperm had to flesh itself out in a dead womb, a womb doomed to die. So effectively, the minute God put his spirit in uh, or his sperm in Mary's womb, Jesus effectively died. He came under the law of sin and death. So what is that, why? What is that telling you? It's telling you that the soul is a woman. It's very, because it fleshes out the body. And so he died, his soul died, even though his spirit never did. Because you can't kill spirits anyway. But his soul, the soul that, that he grew up with, the soul of his family tree, his genealogy, died. It, it, it became, I'll say it became diable or killable because he was in Mary's womb. So all of God's greatness is now downgraded to mortality. Mary grows. He becomes a man. He goes, does what he does. He's amazing. And we don't hear anything else about Jesus. You don't have any other inkling of Jesus' soul estate until Gethsemane. When he's in Gethsemane praying and he's what? He's sweating as it were. What? God is crushing his soul. He's taking the hedge of protection that made him deathless, unable to be killed, and he's now making him vulnerable to death. Is that powerful enough for you? And so the reason they could kill Jesus is because of Gethsemane. Gethsemane. I have to get it right. Gethsemane. I just want to make sure I'm saying it right. That is why. So that blood, God had them keep that in the narrative to show us at what point he went from being mortal, literally mortal, doomed to die, to becoming fatal. Because 
the lethality of the whip, the cross, is what would kill them. So because so, death comes in those stages, you have mortal, fatal, and lethal. Here's the thing we don't get. Jesus' soul went to hell. Why? Because the moment the Godhead seed entered Mary's womb, is he could no longer go home without being born again. And he had to be born in the heart of the earth in hell because his body, his soul had left his body, and he sent his spirit back home. Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. This is so powerful. This is why the enemy start telling you you don't have to be born again. Just say the sinner's prayer and believe it. Just say the sinner's prayer and believe it. But you have to ask God for your new creation pieces, your new creation spirit and the new heart. So telling you, well, just ask Jesus to come into your heart is going to make you feel good. But it's only God that will give you that will give you the new spirit and new heart. If you ask Jesus to come into your heart, he can't, he won't, and he can't. He won't because it's illegal. He can't because it's not conducive. He can, because your, everything about your physical self and your solical self until you're born again belongs to that serpent who won you fair and square in the garden. It was a fair and square contest. Adam did not have to eat. He, did, he could have allowed God to give him another Eve. He didn't believe. His faithlessness. Mm. Wow. He believed that, you know, Eve was a one-off, that both he and Eve were one-offs. So Jesus had to go to hell for some very good reasons, which we'll save for Resurrection Sunday, unless you go digging deeply in my stuff, because I want to move on. And the point... <laughs> Want to hear the bell? I know you can hear the bell on it. <laughs> so the point that I want you to get is I don't care how much people tell you that you will go to heaven just because God is love. God loved no one more than he loved Jesus. Not one creature did he love more than he loved Jesus Christ. He loved Jesus so much that he had to literally go through the agony of watching his, not only his firstborn, but his only begotten son, mutilated by his adversary, whom they had already defeated. So don't, don't, don't get it in your head that God loves you and your sin more than he loves Jesus, whom he had to put sin on to kill. Get that in your head. Because these, these people who are telling you that, these are people who have not bothered to get born again. Because when you, when you go through the, the steps of being born again, you get a new spirit, you get a new soul. It's a three-part process. The Holy Ghost that had left Adam back in Egypt. This is a powerful, this gospel. That's why Jesus said, this gospel. This here gospel, this gospel right here, <laughs> this right here gospel must be preached in all the earth 
and then the end shall come. Now, you have people saying, well, we've been preaching the gospel. How many of you all didn't know this? You see? Not to this type of intricacy. This gospel is granular. It's cellular. It's not just ceremonial. Uh, It's a granular gospel. It's vascular. And until it becomes cellular to you on the subatomic level, we've made it anatomical, how we behave, how we dress, how we look. No, no, no. It's like anyone else. You could tell somebody all day long that, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, but I'm, I'm this. This is my nationality. This is my nativity. But unless they can prove it on a DNA level, they have to take your word for it. And if they don't trust you on an anatomical level, they're going to test your DNA. And your DNA is going to tell them whether or not you are a product of that land. Because something about the DNA is in the dirt. So when you tell people, oh, it doesn't matter, God's just going to take us all, he can't. Jesus had to go to hell because he could not go back to heaven. He lost the equipment. So you have to think, this is granular. He lost the substance of God's world. So he did not have its powers to go back to his world. He was a product of sin, and trust me, he was obligated to it, and Satan knew it, which is why he was right there when he, when he said, Father, into my hands, or thy hands, I commend my spirit. He was looking there. He knew Satan was waiting, said, gotcha. Now, how do you know that? Because Satan was waiting when Moses died. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. And Jesus was the archetype of Moses. So he knew Satan was not letting him out. He couldn't go back. He did not. The sin had corrupted him, so weighed him down. The blood was so so horrible, it did not have the power to rise. There are a whole lot of reasons why you can't go to hell. You can't go to heaven just because you want to. And when when Moses died, God had to send Michael to get him. Because that's who defeated them in their world. <laughs> so he had to send Michael to get Moses. See, this is not a boring gospel. You've just been hearing it boringly. All right. <laughs> okay? So I'm going to tell you right now, this gospel beats any sci-fi they got out there. And the true hero is the star, as opposed to the usurper. So all of that was to tell you why and how you must be born again and why I don't care about how much you pray. I don't care about how much you talk in tongues, don't talk in tongues. God doesn't care about all of those forms because those are expressions. Those are the best expressions we can do as fallen flesh. That's the best we can do with his divine spirit as fallen flesh. We're going to sing some songs. We're going to talk in tongues. God, they don't have tongues in heaven. They got one language. He said that I got one language. I don't need tongues. So we can, we're doing all of that because that's our best. That's why he said this is your reasonable service. This is your living sacrifice. But in our world, that's not how we do. We don't roll like that in our world. 
Because in God's world, everybody is one and the same. Varying degrees, but everybody is one and the same. He had one model. That's why you keep trying. I don't care how much technology we have, how many times we slickify our cars and we change the outside of our machinery and covers and carrying on, we still get the same humans. Mm. The same model that model that Adam was and the same one that Jesus, the God of creation, who made Adam, came to earth as. Spirit, soul, and body, head, arms, toes, etc. That's how we do it. Now, having said that, I want to, I'm going to read to you this and then cover a few more things about 3D. Because the reason you're, you can't be free from your addiction is because you have not outwitted the intelligence that convinced you to addict. Mm. 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 Wow. Is you all right? Scripture says that the enemy shall not outwit Jesus, which means he outwits us. And if we don't get the, the knowledge, the insight, the revelations, and all of the things that I've been sharing with you and, and imparting to you this morning, if we don't get that, we will not be free because we don't know where the problem is. It's kind of like seeing a house up in smoke, but it takes the firemen to tell you where it began and tell you what, what started it. What was the start of Where was it? And that is how it is in God's realm. The, you, your addiction, your enslavements, your compuls, compulsions, obsessions, they are all the product of you being outwitted by the instantaneous moment that you chose death over life. You didn't say that. Come kill me. You didn't say that. You said, well, I'm sorry. I, no, I noticed that every time I take this, I feel better. <laughs> you weren't sick, but you were emotionally strained. You were emotionally wounded. And I think it's still a phenomenon to prove my point that you can take a pill and it heals your your emotions and it touches your soul. This is a physical thing. So how did it get to the soul? The same way the blood in the soul gets to the flesh. Your soul, this is the new 3D, a couple of lines, your soul is an entire being and not an allegoric organ. <laughs> Once realization of your soul as a holistic being and not just a feature of one of its organs sets in, its distinct infrastructure can be grasped. Your soul is not an immaterial organ, but a compounder and disperser of all the spirit generates. It enlivens everything the body calls on and insists upon having at its disposal. When talking about addiction or any soul condition, these realities are critically important to soul handling. Such eternal and natural realities make a world of difference in how one views and treats the soul and how its enslavements and captivities are approached, which is hugely responsible for everything that happens within and through the body. Taking that realization further, after appreciating the soul's technical intricacies is also vital to grasp its functions in the human body. Talked about the, the blood, talked about the chemicals, talked about the, the life, the, the life force, modifying the ordinarily destructive life of the spirit for the body. Because your spirit is very powerful, and the soul tempers it. 
so that it doesn't erupt and destroy the body. These are not merely conceptual, but also physical wisdoms that answer human behaviors, their sources, causes, and incentives. Initiating soul diagnoses and treatment has to build on these realities. So if you don't know what an appetite really is and does, if you don't know what a passion really is and does, if you don't know what a, what a sentiment really is and does, and you can't treat it because you don't know what it is. And each one of those are literal archives. They're literal repositories of, of what your body needs to touch and tap into and to function in this world. That is why when people are thoroughly depressed, what do they do? They get sick. When they want to heal disease, they have to heal what? The soul. They have to heal the psyche. They have to heal the, the, the sentiment, the emotions. The, so all of that has got to be healed and upgraded for the body to say, oh, now, oh, wait a minute, I'm getting light. In him was life. That life was the light of men. God's life has got to come through that soul realm into that flesh in order for your body to be, to be strong and fortified and also to fend off assaults and abuses. Mm-hmm. Outlook is very important, and like everyone else, each one of us is born with a various measure, you know, more of this than that, you know, more joy than sadness. There are people who are born with pessimistic soul organs. They can't see the light of day on anything. They can't, they can't be right. They don't understand. That's real. Pessimism is a real chemistry that the soul compounds and passes on which is why you must be born again, because all of those are there from the law of sin and death. But the new creation spirit has the power, the right, the duty to flip it. So that it starts, so it begins, the soul begins to chemicalize life and health and wholeness and well-being, prosperity, uh, uh, you know, a happy outlook, peace, and, uh, peace of mind. All of that is the soul. And yet we keep treating it as if it's this little drop block. (laughs) Does that help you? So when you, like after this, if this was a session, we would probably spend the rest of the day just going through what I taught bit by bit and linking and relating it to what your soul is doing, what it needs, and what it's craving. Cravings, yearnings, longings, they are all strains of passion. And if we don't handle the passion in its proper context, then they will always want things that destroy and not heal. So moving on, this is our 3D1 book. It's based on Psalm 23. Psalm 19, in particular, 19.7, Psalm 51, and 3 John 1.2. These are the three, excuse me, the four scriptural foundations of the 3D process. Now, I started this by saying that that 3D takes your soul from distress to success. I gave you the example of someone getting a promotion, someone running into 
um, becoming, you know, celebrated. I've got the Emmy. I've got the award. We, we've got the NBA. And immediately turned to Soul Destroyers for celebration because that's what they've always done. Now, and, and, and you can say, well, yeah, okay, what's wrong with that? There is nothing wrong with celebration. There's nothing wrong with you imbibing what you think you can do. The question becomes, why is the first response to victory, to triumph, an assault or an infection or infiltration of your soul? So what, let's look to the next one. Learn your soul as the maker made it. Next one. This one here is very important because this is your distress word cloud. So let's, let's look at what it, and, and distress means. The first thing we want to do is look at what it means. It means troubled with pain. Soul pain shows up in some very peculiar ways, aside from the overt ways of, you know, anger or whatever, but they show up mainly as an inability to be happy or content. So there's some resistors that you have put in your process, your program, that tells you no matter how good things look, don't trust it. No matter how wonderful things feel, it's not real. And you have, so you go through this. So over a lifetime, over a whole lifetime, you, by the time you get to adulthood, you trust nothing positive. Because you brace yourself with negativity. You, you're always braced to, re, to deal with your negativity. And this is where you can become addictive, whether it's food, whether it's fussing, whether it's criticizing, whether it's, it's alcohol, whether it's, uh, you know, sex, whether it's gambling. All of these are, the, are part of that bracing, that recovery thing that you have installed in your soul to, to make you feel better about having never believed. Wow. So you will put your faith in false things because faith is innate to all of us. It's about as innate as air and water, as our, as our DNA. So your faith, you, from a child, whether, for whatever reasons, and you'd have to explore that with a, a therapist or a counselor, but for whatever reason, your response to good things is to brace yourself for when they turn bad. Yeah, I know, but you know, this happened to me before and well, you know, well, you know, you can't believe what you see. Now, that has, that, that can, you know, we can track that rabbit all over the place, but the truth is, the fact of the matter is, this is sufficient enough for you to start saying, is that, do I do that? People are patting you on the back and you're like, yeah, but. People are celebrating, or if, if, if you do and you do go into the celebration, you go into celebration, and for you that celebration is literally anesthetizing or numbing that, that reversal that you are sure is going to happen because your faith is on the thing reversing. Your faith is on that. All right? And then the next one, the, uh, distress circumstances that inflict and afflict. You take enough hits, you take enough um, bullying, you take enough, like even with kids, you know, 
Well, it's one we. I don't want you know. We 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 told our students not to bully. You have to find out why one person, one kid is a bully, and the other one is bullyable. Right. Wow. Because they're both walking in something. Yeah. And what they're walking in is not going to be mandated or punished away. But yet that same bully grows up and they, you know, you can say, but they outgrow it. They, you generally won't outgrow it. You just redirect it. You you recompose it. And sometimes that's good. Makes you a great business person, great negotiator, you know, great leader. But at other times it can make you an oppressive and bullying boss or bullying co-worker, because by now, this thing has gone from being incidental to constitutional. It's part of your makeup. So, and the, but beneath it is this person that says, why is it that I can't ever get along? Why is it that I keep, why can't I ever keep friends? Why do, why do people walk away from that? Now, they, they cover it, again, with the bully veneer, but in their souls, they don't know why themselves. Or if they know why, then it's then that bullying is a preventative. Mm. It's a guard. Remember, I have a section in the book that says that your scar is guard. And so there, you, and you're looking for these scars, and then it's pain inflicted on the mind or body. But you find that one interesting. Emotional climate, now this is where people, no matter where you go, if this keeps following you, emotional climates that draw apart or hinder. Some of us walk in a climate, in our our emotional ecosystem. Compel or repel or dispel people or in our lives. There is, and I have, you know, part of it, we talk about your emotional ecosystem. The climate, the air you walk in, what your what your mood diffuses, what your your attitude diffuses, the, and, and if it happens enough, then it becomes part of your your fragrance. Because remember, the soul's job is to chemicalize for the body. Okay. The uh, distress, an emotional type place of pain and suffering, bad relationships, horrible jobs, lousy living arrangements. You know, terrible neighborhood. These all cause distress. They they factor in your distress. What causes anxiety or hardship? And prolonged anxiety becomes a constitutional hardship, hormonal hardship. Because when I say chemical, I'm talking hormones. I'm talking all of the other things that go with that. Okay? So you keep you, you, you know, you, it happens. You bounce back. It happens. You come back again. It happens. And then you move. And for a while, it stops happening. And then it happens again. And then you relocate. You change your job. So now we have to look at your emotional ecosystem. What type of climate do, do your emotions create that alters the environment of everywhere you go. So you can see this is not a short thing. We do it quickly because we don't really take people through the whole piece unless they're, unless they're um, on site. 
because it's not something that you can do and go home and feel good about yourself. You have to be where people can pray you into the positivity of it all and encourage you to do that. Okay, distress, what compels, coerces, presses together. So there are things, and these don't always have to be negative, but we're talking about distress, so I think it probably should be this. And so what compels you to do what you do or to refuse? Some of you all, you are walking around with a library of prophecies about what the Lord says you're going to do and that he's done in your life. And in your mind, you can't see it happening. You can't see it happening in your thoughts, in your your soul. You just can't see it because you are jam-packed with adversity, memories of adversity, and now adversity has fallen into that preventative you have that's bracing you for the next failure, waiting for that other shoe to fall. So when God prophesies, you write it down. You're thrilled that he knows your name. You're ecstatic that he can tell you what he's planning, and yet you doubt him being able to do it for you. You do not doubt God being unable to do it at all. You doubt God being able to do it or being willing to do it for you. Will God step in for you because he didn't step into for you all those other times? And my the section and and, and 3D2 on success, you know, understand, diagnosing, and, and I call it the, the nuclearity of your, success, of your success, because nuclear success is going to put you through trials and tribulations first, which is why you should always have a mentor or a coach helping you get through your, your, your trials, your, your journey in life, and your path to success. You need a person to say, to differentiate for you, from you a trial related to your calling or your pursuit of destiny as opposed to a trial that the enemy just is throwing in a way to halt it as opposed to a trial that you created because of your perspective, because of your outlook, because of your basic makeup, and maybe because of your history. So you have to figure out the compulsions. You have to find out what What's, what's your coercion? Who do you coerce? And then how are you coerced in or out of your purpose, in or out of your calling? Is it family members? The number one thing that's going to kill your success will always be family members because you think that family can't have envy. <laughs> you think family can't have, can't, can't have um, codependency. So a lot of people, you, you drop your success because some family member is codependent upon you. And they're codependent upon you being at status quo. And they, if they encourage you, you cannot tolerate their encouragement because what's going to happen is you'll leave them. So, that, that, so they'll coerce you out of your success. They'll coerce you out of relationships. They'll talk you out of jobs that will get you there. They'll talk you out of relationships or they'll talk you into severing your connection with various things. Why? You have got to not, when you're trying to deal with your distress, you can't just be the only person in the process. You've got to deal with the cast of characters that are contributing to it, either positively or negatively, because in your your healing process, In your healing process, you've got to disengage them. You've got to detox yourself from them. You might have had a lot of fun as little kids in school, you know, two brothers. You had a great time in school. Wasn't it wonderful? We grew up. We did everything together. But you don't share destiny because you don't share souls. 
And so one soul has one path and another soul has another path. Because when you're a kid, everything is about staying one and staying together and, and, and in the home. But when you go out into life, that soul has a mandate from its maker. And it's going to start tugging at you and pulling at you and calling you to do something totally contrary to the unity of the family. And those that are codependent upon you, that depend upon the games that you play and all of those things, and want to keep reliving that childhood or keep you in that childhood posture for their pleasure's sake and for their security and comfort's sake, that person you're going to have to have the hard talk with. That is why people don't fulfill destiny. Do you realize that every, just about every show is talking to you about family, and it's about family in the workplace? It's about family everywhere but in God. And, and, but, but have you noticed that they may write the script, but the people don't honor what they wrote? Oh, yeah, because we're family, but yet you're out handling your job. You're doing your destiny. You're doing your purpose. Why is that? So as we go, as you go further, you have to understand what that is. And then the pressing together, how do these things come together and squeeze you out of confidence and squeeze you out of certainty? You know, when you get to the point where Eve got, did God really say? See, that Eve thing starts coming up because his job was to compel her to eat the, from the tree and by eating, coerce Adam to eat so that he could enter him because the seal was not broken on her because it wasn't given to her. The seal was broken on him. And from the moment that, that the Holy Ghost left, his pores were open to receive that spirit. Distress, emotional, emotional strains that cause anguish and grief. There are things that have so... Uh, so, what, what can I say, so paralyzed you, I guess that's the word, and so uh, weakened you that you actually, growing up, can't take stress. And success requires conquest over stress. So you can't take stress. I, I'm sorry, you jitter, you all over the place. So even though you're doing all of the things successful, you always get to the gate and fail or get to the gate and quit or get to the gate and drop the bar. Why? Because in your mind, something, the way you have trained it, and your soul is working through its library, its archives, its repository, your soul is, call, is answering your emotions. And in doing so, it's saying, you know, whenever we get here, my job is. Whenever we get here, I am authorized to. So you have to go back through all of the things that you've dropped in your life and all of the things that you let slide and begin to probe them, not because of the, um, because of the event or you want to relive the incident. You want to move into the mandates that you put on your soul mm. that cause that it has never expired. Mm. Mm. So, when, so all that, but see, because it, it's objective. It's generic, it's objective. Success, okay. Heading toward success, okay. People curse you out, time to quit. Someone got angry, time to stop. And so those are happening in your soul beneath your subconscious. 
not just beneath your conscious, beneath your subconscious, at that place where the spirit and soul connect. One feeds off the other. So you have got, and it will start, you'll start having angst, you'll be agitated, very fidgety, because you're coming up on a success milestone. But you're not sure you want it to happen. Or you're not sure you want to make the changes for it to happen. Or your codependent sibling, friend, college friend, spouse, loved one, before they have to adjust to your next stage of life. The next one, to compel or constrain by pain and suffering. This has to do with whether you are taking emotional blows or physical blows. Let's say your physical blows, you've you've contracted a sickness, you've contracted a disease, you've whatever. This, This distress, all of that has repercussions. All of that has resonance and reverberation in, in, in your body. Your body begins, you've got to deal with fatigue. You've got to add treatments and therapies to the journey that you were on that you didn't start out with. All of that's there. But success feels that your best, your best comes through its press. So success will wait to see whether or not you use your your malady, your infirmity, to press through or to retreat. Now, why is that important? That's probably something, unless you were born with a disease, this is not speaking to that, but that is probably something you did as a kid. When you didn't want to go to school, you played sick. When you didn't want to do your homework, you got a headache. When you didn't want to go to bed, your stomach hurt. All of that's kid stuff, and even and, and because it's kid stuff, which is great, because it's kid stuff, nobody takes it seriously, and they think you're growing out of it, and most kids do. But some souls are predisposed to exit stage left, excuses, abandonment, etc. And it's up to that parent, through prayer and, and mentorship and all of those things, to to learn what kid is predisposed to sickness as an exit. Sickness as an excuse. Sickness as a liberator from responsibility, duties, or their unpleasantness. Is my thing not, is it not um, plugged in? So is it the television? Excuse us, Techie, you know. All right. Mm-hmm. You want to, yeah, we might have to put it here. Nope. It's over there, but it's... been having problems with my computer. See, it's not responding. Huh? There's no reason for it not to. Sorry, guys. We um technical difficulties, which is one of the reasons why I always want to print out my slides. Um, 
Hold on, we're going to do a commercial thing and find out what's going on. How's that? Come on, do something commercial. Talk about the soul. Think commercially. Talk, Talk about the soul. Okay, listen, we offer, should I slide over here? We offer at PPM Global Resources prophetic ed advisements, life advisements, 3D soul deliverance advisements. If you're out there saying, I need to be delivered, but I need help, has that been anybody? Because, hey, that's probably how you got there. You were in there by yourself. And so you can visit www.prophetic-ed.com and view all of our different advisement services that we offer, particularly one tied to soul healing and deliverance. I've gone through this, and all of the advisors have gone through uh, with many people the 3D process, the deliverance process, because most people think that, Deliverance is somebody has to lay hands on me at the altar, and whoever can throw me the farthest, that's the line I want to get in, okay? If I end up through the back wall, that's the person I want to lay hands on me, and that's the, in, in their mind, that's the only way, because when we hear healing and deliverance or deliverance ministry or deliverance line, that's what it is, isn't it? Just throw me down, lay me out, and just as long as I just start hollering and everything else, I'll be okay. Now, that is an important piece because you do need the laying on of hands, casting out of some things, some people, dislodge a few devils, you uh, eliminate, evacuate some, evict the other ones. And so you might need that. But along with that, okay, so you get that intense ministry at the altar. Now what? There's the now what? It, okay, I have to go back and face my life, that's, as, as Dr. Price talked about, that's stressing me out. I have to face this job on Monday. I have to deal with that family who doesn't agree with my life or just whatever. Now what? And the advisement process is a part of the now what? Uh, sometimes you need that first. We do it in tandem. You're going to get prayer, ministry, and the program that goes with it so that you can recondition, renew your mind, recondition your soul, give yourself alternatives to those patterns and habits that you had before that led you into it. How about discovering and finding out what truths you believe that don't line up with God's truth? What's true to you that's not true to God? and not true to God about you or your circumstance or your situation. In book one, when she talks about uh, disappointment being the big D in addiction, and there's a whole list of things that are tied to disappointments to where when you go back and realize, wow, this disappointment, I chose to reach for this. I chose to do this. I chose to avoid this at that time in disappointment because you're going to have more disappointments in life. You're going to have them, whether it's five days, five minutes, five years from now, there will be other disappointments in the very scenarios that you face to where you chose addiction. Now, what are you going to do? Like she said, the do it yourself. So we always highly recommend signing up for advisement services with us, myself, Prophet Tala, Prophet Angela, Apostle Sally, are you out there? Yes. Apostle Sally, am I missing someone? Prophet Norma. She does youth advisements. Uh, child, I have a, a new uh, client, and her seven-year-old daughter is going to sign up for advisements. And so we have children who also get involved with that as well. Exactly what Dr. Price was talking about today, is your child hiding behind something? Is this really going on with them? And not just ignoring them or getting angry with them or frustrated with them, but exploring and saying, let's see what's going on here. 
let's see what's happening and let's begin to do some due diligence. And we talked about at the beginning of the show, investigating the word cloud uh, with investigation. And so 3D life advisement program, prophetic ed, prophetic hyphen ed.com. And I do encourage you. Thank you for kicking in. We're having prayer. And, um, but I do encourage you to um, listen to this again and again because we're running out of time. But shine up for help. Nobody can heal their soul alone. I know it seems like you can, but you can't. And nobody can say, well, it's just me and the Holy Ghost. Understand that you and the Holy Ghost, that's nice. <laughs> but you understand that you, and you are very subjective about the Holy Ghost. You need that external party. You need that outside party to steer you and to urge you, not to beat you down, but to urge you to look at yourself and look at things the way it is. The last thing, so we talked about to compel a strain by sickness. You don't have any idea how much many of your sicknesses go all the way back to the escape plans you had, you know, the heat the thermometer and all of that. Well, Remember those days? Now you can't, the little thing, you know. You slept under it all night. You woke up. It was hot. Um, but you, all, you understand, now this, none of this is meant to say that it's intentional. It's meant to say that the, incident, the incidental served you so many times for so long that it's now part of your psychological makeup, your, your, your soul's constitution. It's there now as a, as a help. It's there as like an, not just an alarm, but also as a rescue. It will give you that time. And so I wanted you to know that to make miserable by physical or mental pain, and we talked about that. And if you look on the side, we have all of these things that we have to deal with. We're going to have to deal with your development. We're going to have to deal with there's a word that I've used in this over and over again called confluence, how your soul flows. Mm -hmm. Wow how it congeals what you need in your body. And that's, it's, important, it's important that you recognize that. So I wanna, I'm going to just end on this note because I think it's important for us to cover. I think I'm, okay, you can understand. See, I got something going on here, boy, because I'm telling you crazy is trying to do crazy. I know because I know what I've been fighting at home to get this done. If you're a student of scripture, you will interested, be interested to know that the word distress, distress is mentioned more than 35 times there. Mm -hmm. In the Old Testament, <laughs> uh, it, it, it means straight vexation or trouble. The English term is used only twice in the New Testament by the Lord Jesus. One was by Jesus, adding to the Old Testament's number of meanings of the word calamity. So in the New Testament, Jesus, think about his words. It doesn't have to be mentioned all of that because he's resolved that by the cross. So he said, in the world, you'll have tribulation. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. I'm in you. I'm back inside humanity now. I'm now walking and talking in humanity. I'm now able to deal with your issues from the inside out and deal with the adversaries. And so... The whole Paul uses the term to describe a narrow strait of dire calamity, extreme affliction, uh, afflictions. So when you think of your, your soul 
and it's distress, these are some of the things that you want to be able to locate because you're going to go to somebody and say, hey, I need some help. What's wrong with you? I, I don't know. Well, what do you, I just don't feel right. Well, you know, well, is it physical? I'm not, I'm not sure. Now you can begin to tack on different things that will deal with your issue. You know, again, the pain inflicted on mind and body. Okay, so is it, is it, if it's mental pain or mental stress that you're feeling, what happened? Isn't that what your counselors do? They start with what happens in your life, where, what, any upsets recent, recently, because if we don't get to a point of origin, we cannot get to a baseline. Yeah, right, right. Because then we want to know before that how things were. These are the things that you do. So I do, I encourage you to go to the website, prophetic-ed, and you can get, where's the 3D book? You can get this. You can start with this version of the book. It's very simple. I've had people who've been in the clinical and the therapeutic field for a while, a long time, and they all appreciated the simplicity, the ease of it. It has activities that get you get you going. In other words, you can get involved in how you do it. Because in the end, I don't care how many, how many tens of thousands of dollars you spend on therapy and counseling, in the end, it's on you. It's on you. And it's because it's on you, then you need to know what to do. And you need to be able to face you. Even if it comes down to a fact that the matter, in which I've had often, when you decide well, I kind of like me this way. Do you know that there are people who stay addicted because they like the friends? Yes. Yeah. They like the flop house. Mm-hmm. See, those are people who who are not ready to be free. Right. And so they de- they decided to economize mm. oh their captivity. Oh my. Oh my. They've assigned an economy to it. They've assigned benefits to it. You know, I have, at least I have friends, but at least people don't judge me. Well, you're already judging people by saying that, and then you're drugging yourself to judge us. It's important that you, if, if my attitude has always been, if you want to be free, Jesus Christ has set you free. He's come. His blood is there. If you want to be bound, his blood also purchased your will to reject him or your will to be enslaved. That is the way it is in life. So I'm glad you joined us. Hallelujah. She says 90 seconds. Make sure you share this again and again and again. And forgive the gap, but I think we got it all in. We have other things to talk about on this. I'm going to be on this soul thing every every now and again so you can Tell me what you think about the content. What did you all think about this, this paragraph that I read about your soul? Is... <laughs> how did my um, social media, how did you all out there in social media world, how did you appreciate this particular broadcast? I know. So y'all got to answer me. So I know if you have any thoughts or questions, let me know. I know that I'm sure that I'll get a couple of flat lines, a couple of defibs. <laughs> the defibs, you know, we get some of those. Play it again and again and again. Share it, share it, share it, share it. Use this information. God saw fit to have me put this together for you because you're praying. When you see me do things, however way you agree with them, not don't agree with them, approve or disapprove, understand somebody is praying for me to do what I'm doing. Somebody asked God 
to have someone talk on this subject or give them an answer. So ministers are there to be prayer answerers, not just, you know, uh, whipping posts. Um, so God, somebody asked God for this, and I met the need because someone asked. Did you get in? Are they answering? That's it. <laughs> she said, they're thankful. <laughs> and also, sow a seed. I'm sure that this kind of information you would be paying a nice little penny for. You can sow a seed. It's on the screen. Rachel has it on the screen. You can sow a seed. Join us if you're in the area at the Congregation of the Mighty, where God stands. Sunday for Sunday school at 8 o'clock and uh, 10 o'clock for worship service. And, again, listen to this, and if you have comments and whatever, I would love to hear them. But until then, think differently, live powerfully, and join us at the Congregation of the Mighty in Tulsa, Oklahoma, where God stands. Have a great weekend. With Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.